This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hey guys, and welcome back to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have Emmett Kerwin. Emmett is an actor. He's a writer. He's quite possibly to blame for the fact that there is a season two of Personality Bingo. Essentially, Emmett and myself are both doing shows at this year's Dublin Fringe Festival. We got chatting. Emmett mentioned that he'd be up for doing a chat, and I knew I had to do a season two. Emmett's CV is as long as my arm, and I've never said that phrase before. <laughs> I'm never going to say it again. But essentially, you're probably going to best know him from the wonderful Dublin Old School, his smash hit play, which went on to be a movie directed by Dave Tynan, which is a theme throughout his career. Emmett's collaborated with Dave plenty uh, throughout his work, uh, including Just Saying, uh, a spoken word poem um, that I think I probably uh, first came across Emmett with, and also Heartbreak, uh, which arose from the This Is Pop Baby show, Riot. Emmett was also uh, at uh, the Project Art Centre earlier this year, like I mentioned, at the Dublin Fringe, with his amazing play, Accents, and then only just months before, he was back at the project with the wonderful Straight To Video. Emmett is an absolute gentleman, like I said, he was someone from the first, you know, 130 odd episodes, I always knew I wanted Emma, and I'm so delighted that we finally made it work. So Emmett, if you're listening, thanks so much for taking the time. He's one of the busiest men I know, but he was an absolute gentleman and I couldn't have enjoyed the chat more. Since this is the first episode of season two of the podcast, if you are listening, and God forbid, if you enjoy, please do give us a like, give us a share, anything that you can do, especially on Instagram, Twitter, whatever you do, give us a like, give us a share, screenshot that you're listening, share it with a mate, whatever you can. We'd love to get our listens right back up there. We'd love to get back to your podcast feeds. And the best way to do that is, of course, to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Lads, I am so excited to be bringing you this chat. So please sit back, relax, enjoy the wonderful Emmett Kerwin. Emmett Kerwin, ready to play personality bingo. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Not sure, but we're going to do it. Um, right, I'll give a quick explanation of how it all works. It's very simple. I've got uh, 60 minutes on the clock. I've got 60 balls on here, okay. and I've got 60 corresponding questions. Uh, I'm also going to give you this sheet of paper. It's got five numbers on it. Would you do me a favor and read out the five? Two, 17, 8, 30, and 48. Beautiful. Would you do me another favor? Would you pick a sixth number, something that's not there between one and 60? A six number? Yeah. How do you mean, like something like that has a six in it? No, anything between one and 60 that's not there. Oh, sorry, apologies. Um, yeah. I like this. There's talk going into it. Yeah. What'd you go for? 57. Any reason? No. Great. <laughs> Clear mind. <laughs> yeah. I should say, if all Blind six of them, yeah. if, if all six of them do come out, you can keep it. Let totally. me know, uh, and that means the tables are turned, and I'll let you ask me anything in the whole wide world. Oh, excellent! It's also nice never one. happened. So, oh, has know, it never no. happened? No. Right. So you've 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 basically gamed this game. 
with a kind of numerical kind of like certainty that you'll never get asked the question. 100%. The tables will never be turned. Yeah, and you're here and I can ask you my questions. Ah, the right. things I'm interested in. This yeah, gives a glimmer of hope though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. False hope. Yeah, I'm going to crush it, watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's Good. give it a spin. So, first number out, we have number 43. Do you have it? Nope. No worries. Number 43. The question is, what period of time in your life was the most exciting? Oh, um... Can you say two times? Yeah. So I think right now is quite exciting mm. because myself and my partner have uh, a new baby. Yeah. So that's a whole new kind of like uh, part of life and the world, which I never thought. And I remember someone saying it to me, um, a dramaturg I was working with, um, who people listen, that's basically like a play scientist. And he <laughs> said, he goes, you know, plays that are written before a person has a child and then plays that are written after have a child like, you're two different people and you are there's no way to explain that until you have a kid I, I kind of thought I knew what he meant but now I do know what he means and uh, it's really exciting and it's really exciting to kind of see a child kind of like grow and, and uh, change and you know what it does for your family or whatever you know mm. uh, so this is really exciting and then I think there's loads of kind of times in my life that were quite exciting but I think times between the ages of 26 and 36 maybe was the most exciting time yeah. mm. um, in terms of <coughs> I don't know. I think I was reading something somewhere. The brain stops growing or something like that. Or so, uh, the, the person reaches 25. Mm. I think even for a man or something, it's like 21. But there is some sort of like psychological shift, physical change in the physiology of a human that, change, that, that, that completes at the age of 25. Mm. So I think who you are or kind of what you are, there's, there's a lot of people out there that they always seem so self-assured at the age of 18. Mm. These are kind of exceptional people, you know, they're kind of fully formed coming into the world and like you went to drama school, you might meet those people in drama school, like year one, they seem incredibly with it and together. And I don't think I was, I don't think anybody is really, but um, I think uh, kind of things can click into place or synapses start firing maybe differently after the age of 25. So I think from that kind of period of like 26 to 36, I think, and you know, in that time, I would have started writing a lot more. I started making my own kind of work. Then I met my now uh, partner um, about like, you know, I think it was 29. And yeah, so that kind of like time mm. is really, and like not that now is not an exciting time, but certainly now is a time where the focus is on kind of like practicality and getting things done, which is in itself quite exciting, but also it happens in a kind of clear headedness. So I think between 26 and 36, maybe it was, it was quite exciting because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of like making it up as I went. So the freewheeling aspect of that kind of aspect of youth. Um, John Updike, you know, do you know John Updike? He's a novelist. Yeah. Um, he wrote a series of books called The Rabbit Novels. And they start off in the 1950s with a book called Rabbit Run. And then he graduates to uh, another book that he wrote 10 years later called Rabbit Redux and then Rabbit is Rich and then Rabbit Rest. And they kind of came 10 years, one after the other. And the fourth one won the Booker Prize, I think, mm. I can't remember. I, I, but it's not the best one. Because, but technically it probably is writing-wise because mm. he was a better writer and he was older. But everybody always wants to talk to him about the first book. And it's because of the kind of valorization of youth. Right. And how people go, ah, yeah, but... The first album, Arctic Monkeys. I love their new stuff, but the first one, you know. Yeah. So there's kind of something about that, um, that valorization of youth that happens, like that you're trying to capture or write or take down, and that's the thing that seems really exciting. But actually, when you when you think about it a bit better, the things that happen later in life are probably 
they don't seem as exciting, but maybe that's because their physiology has changed, but they probably are more exciting and they're probably more real, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. So can you speak to that thing of like the way, going back to what the dramaturg said, right? Yeah, yeah. And how you change as, like, because I'm interested in how you change as a human being, but as an artist, how, what can you speak to what that transition feels like to you now? Yeah, it's, that kind of thing that happens like when you're kind of in your late 20s, there's a need to kind of like, there's a need sometimes to, like a vain ability to narrativize life or your life or some way, because mm -hmm. everybody's trying to storyify something. And there's an urgency to it. Mm. I gotta tell this story now, and if I don't, they'll never be told, you yeah, know? Yeah. So that can be quite intoxicating, and that kind of like thing. Whereas, and that can be quite exciting, and, and people get excited by your excitement for telling that story, or how you tell that story. Um, so, you know, when I was writing Dublin Oscar, the play, that was kind of like that, you know, it was like, right, this is something that's exciting and excites me and I want to tell a story. And then I think what happens when you, when you become, this, and this is just specifically in relation to art mm. and becoming a father, I think there's a calmness maybe that comes over you, or it's, you know, about having children and saying, you know, look, here's the thing, talking about this, like so many, thousands of people in the world you know get to have children they're probably going oh yeah my fucking great discovery you're only, <laughs> <laughs> you're only, only copping on to that now but it, it, it's different as well like having children now as opposed to having saying sorry there's a difference having children now as opposed to like say being my parents generation but mm. having them in your 20s yeah. so there's an ability to step back from that and, and smell the roses or whatever and kind of like you know see it in a, in a less kind of frantic way mm. whereas everything in your 20s is frantic Mm. So I think maybe if you had kids, if I had kids in my twenties, it would have been quite frantic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're catching up with yourself constantly. You know, like we're all still catching up with ourselves, figuring it out as we go. But I do think there is a, a thing with maturity that happens. And you know, as an artist, then you're able to kind of go, oh, well, that's happening because of this and that. You know, mm. you're aware of things a little bit more. You know. And did you know you always wanted kids, or was that something? Oh no, no, just yeah, we're gonna just not that not that I didn't think deeply about it, but mm. it's a weird thing, I suppose. A lot of artists, you know, like, and, and <coughs> our generation, you know, and I say our generation, like my generation and the generation below and the generation coming up now, mm. because of the the economic circumstances to which we've all been born into and how the world has been shaped by powers beyond our control, people often live a life delayed mm. because the idea of having a child, if you're not set up right economically or you're stable and you have your own house and stuff can seem quite scary or irresponsible. Mm. And people kind of like, there's a narrative that people telling you it is irresponsible to have children if you don't. These are usually people who are talking, making those decisions and making those comments from a place of incredible safety and incredible privilege and wealth. Sure. Um, so I think there was a kind of thing, and I've talked to other artists about this, you know, people delaying having children because of career or whatever, you know, whereas um, I was talking to an actor who, both parents are actors. Both parents are actors, and they had kids like before the age of twenty six. Both of them being twenty six, they had four kids. Wow! But, but there was no not that there was no thought went into it. it was just they just did it mm. and figured it out. Yeah. So the ability to kind of do not the ability, but the idea of just doing something and, and figuring out and letting the cards fall where they will. That mindset has changed, to shift, shifted mm. uh, with my generation and, and every generation going up now. You know, people are are asked or taught to be more thoughtful about how and when they choose to build a life you know um, I don't know if that's a good thing yeah you know what I mean because sometimes maybe just get on with it like just do it like you know yeah so right 
I'm going to ask you for some advice, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm 29. Right, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Similar, similar world to your world and that, you know, like theatre, writing, film stuff, whatever it is, but it's unpredictable. Do you know what yeah, I mean? And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's completely like comparable circumstances in some ways. Yeah, totally. And, uh, but I know, I know that's something I'd like to do. Like I know I'd like oh, to become really a dad. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Great. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm like in a stable relationship with someone who we'd love to go down that road with. Brilliant. Yeah, so what, but it's 100% that thing of like, okay, but then if we want to get a house, well, that is a, a whole different conversation, but we want to have a kid. And, and it's only kind of, it's only, I guess, like maybe it is that coming up to 30 thing and you start to think of the the logistics of it, but also the like biology of these things and like that. Yeah. You don't, you actually don't have forever. No, you, don't at all. you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that in 15 years. And you're like, well, you probably can't, can't. you know? No, yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. what would you say to, to, to me to be, to the filter that I should put my thinking through? Yeah, like, this is the thing, like, I'm very wary of giving any person advice. Yeah. <laughs> what, what an Our awful position to put you in. I know, no, no, I know, but because, like, it's, a, you know, it, it would it kind of give an idea that I've figured things out, yeah. and I haven't. Um, I suppose that, you know, it's that thing that John Lennon said, life's what happens when you're making plans, you yeah, know? Yeah. I think overthought, or overthinking things, <clears throat> is the death of any good idea yeah. and um, fuck it just do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean because, because what happens is like you know the perfect time is never you know I'm not saying what to do or how to do it but the mm. perfect time is never there's never a perfect time for anything you know yeah. so it's a case yeah. of just do it yeah. you know and it's like just do it like any of those kind of ideas that you had like you know to make something to call a friend to to do something like that you think would basically better your life mm. why, why delay yeah are you good at doing that yourself Oh, just make they making a decision to do it. Yeah. No, no, no. That's what I mean. Yeah. So there's no point taking advice from me. Yeah. This is all true hindsight. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and that kind of thing. So like I wouldn't take any advice that I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> and I say this to people listening as well. <laughs> uh, you know. So it's it's that thing of, yeah, just don't put it off. Like don't put anything off. Yeah. I mean that in just general. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. Let's give it a spin. Oh my god. The bingo machine is having a strike. <laughs> is this is this a tombola? Huh? Yeah, it is a yeah. mini tombola. Yeah, yeah, it's class. yeah. We love it. It's uh, right. It's number fifty-one. Do you have that one? No, no it's worries. Close there. Fuck. Um, it's like me with the low. <laughs> yeah, the poor person tax. Yeah, and just like the lotto, you won't win. Yeah, I won't. Um, win. Yeah, it's such a thing. Number fifty-one. What is your relationship to fame? How do you mean? I mean, it's open-ended on purpose. Like, I suppose. What do I mean? What is your relationship to fame? Like, is it, I guess, maybe to start, is it something that uh, you've ever craved? No, definitely not. Um, no. And it's funny, it's like, when you do something, people are like, are you doing this? Because it, it's quite it's quite hard for people to fathom the idea that like, if you've made something or done something, you weren't doing it for the idea of fame. But mm. that says more about them than it does about you. Mm. You know, a lot of the time, a lot of the attention that you might get is never good attention. You know, um, some of it is like, but I don't class myself or, or think I'm, I have fame in mm. any kind of way, mm. but people might recognize you from work you've done or, you know, different things. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange kind of byproduct. Like, it, it depends what country you live in mm. as well. Yeah. You know, it depends where you live, like, and how people kind of react to it. Um, Because like you know we work th you know work in theatre so the idea mm -hmm. of like just be, like being on stage and doing it is the kind of part you're interested in yeah and making it 
and as a writer, they're, they're part you're interested in is making the work and and then f- those kind of notoriety, not notoriety things, but recognizability, let's call it, is a byproduct of those things. And if you're aiming for that, it will always f- be a failure. You know what I mean? Because mm. ultimately, like the reason you're being recognised is because of the work, but the work isn't any good. You know that kind of way. So like you can't bypass the work part of it. Yeah. So um. I always find it. Did you play Red Dead Redemption? No. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> Trust me. Um, <clears throat> there's a bit like where in Ireland, if you walk down the street and someone recognises you, one of two things will happen. So on the way here, a fella stopped me on his bike just there in Pierce Street and he said, what's the crack? I can't see your show. Nice one. I was like, oh, thanks, man. That was a really positive interaction because he seen the show, he knew the work and he enjoyed it. Mm. And he was like, yeah, I got a, I got a ticket. Um a free ticket actually he showed up to the theatre just on a whim because it was sold out and he, he got a theatre I was like daddy nice one and that's a lovely part of kind of recognition yeah. so someone's seen the work and they recognise it and then there's other things where people haven't seen any of the work but they might know you from an interview they might know you from you know something else or mm. maybe a film or something you know that you're not necessarily known for and usually what you get is people don't say hello they just kind of squint it happens to Red Dead Redemption when you go into a town and you've done a crime or something like that people kind of like squint eyed look at you and the demographics are um, most women would say hello they go oh I've seen you in the thing what's the story and most young people would go oh I've seen you in the thing but men my age mm. don't say hello so what they do is they just squint and you can't see me now but they squint and they stare and it's either one of two things you go fuck is he do I know him or does he know me you know what I mean yeah. so you're kind of you don't know what they're feeling or what they're thinking yeah. <laughs> like, away. and it's usually like and sometimes they'll say hello and that's grand they go oh what's the crack and it's like oh, alright you know me kind of thing. but then other times people are just squinting at you and like, so that that's kind of the, I think that's what happens to most people if you become recognisable people don't say hello they just kind of stare at you you know <laughs> yeah. weirdly and yeah. it's really strange you know what I mean yeah. but most people are really like Irish people are really sound if, they, if they've seen you working they're like, they're like oh what's crack man and they'll say hello and they'll talk to you but um, if they kind of have a half remembering of who you are they just you know which is weird because I don't think they do it to other people if they didn't you know what I mean they yeah. wouldn't stare you know yeah, so I, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. But the rela- yeah, but the relationship thing was like it's not something I would crave or want, you know. Yeah, really at all. Yeah, yeah, great. Let's give it a spin. Okay, we've got number forty-seven. Do you have it? No, fifty-seven. Well, forty-eight. That doesn't Ooh, count, though, doesn't it? Doesn't count. That's no. the way bingo works. <laughs> yeah. Right, forty-seven. Um, w- what is your relationship to heartbreak? The, the, the poem no it's actually the question but <coughs> oh, <laughs> I love right. the poem yeah 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 That's what's the so feel free to take it there if you want uh, what am I relating to heartbreak Jeez, no. have you experienced it oh yeah I'm sure everybody has haven't yeah, they I think so um, yeah I don't know it's kind of weird it's like not sure I don't know I mm. think like Heartbreak the the poem. Um, I was at, I was asked to write a, like this this show Riot with this is Pop Baby a theatre company, and um, it was a big kind of extravaganza, uh, but theatre and uh, circus acts, and I was asked to write four poems that spoken word poems specifically that would be performed in <coughs> this big huge show, and they had a kind of a theme for it that was going to move through different things and one of the one of the segments of the show which would have music and song and dance and acrobats and all this thing uh, acrobats and, and perform, circus performers and so forth was heartbreak mm. so I don't know what they thought when they gave me that word 
to go and write something. And it was it was the same year as the 2000, it was 2016, so it was the year of the centenary of the rising. Mm. So there was a, a political undercurrent to the whole thing because the show would be overtly political. Pat, Panty Bliss was also in it, who had also written a piece that would, she was the kind of a compare, the kind of ringmaster of the show. Mm. And um, so there was a, I was kind of tasked with writing four poems that would sum up modern Ireland and um, as a kind of counter protest to what was happening with the centenary protest and this is pop baby make shows that are like what they call gender fuckery and um, you know queer theatre and theatre that's turning kind of conservative theatre tropes on their head with kind of in your face brashness and colour and gayness and pop music and and words and 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 a, and a, a distinctly working class voice because mm. uh, Philip McMahon is from Finglas and I've known Philip since I was sixteen. We went to youth theatre together and Jenny Jennings as well. They're both from working class backgrounds, so their theatre, as theatre makers, they're kind of like you can feel like an interloper when you're not from that kind of like you know privileged kind of like background mm. uh, working in theatre because for a long time would have been really the preserve the pursuit of only people that could afford to do it. Um, so they gave me four prompts and one of them was heartbreak so I had to think deeply about what you just asked me is about heartbreak well what how would that and heartbreak kind of happens anytime there's an incident in a life where you get hurt and you know the idea I had was when bones break they, they calcify back together they, they mend but they're kind of form slightly you mm. know what I mean like so what happens every time you know your heart breaks like does something coat over it and change the person so you know those kind of like body memory you know if you if you're the victim of being hurt or something like that or you get hit or you break a nose or something like that that you your body holds on to that trauma to a degree mm. if you don't let go of it you know and um so how we kind of hold on to those heartbreaks, how we hold on to those traumas and how we as a state, or if it was a state was a woman or, you know, or, you know, if the state was a man, like what would that story be and how would you personalise that? How would you humanise, not humanise it, but like make it into a person? So I talk kind of deeply about it and it is that thing of if you let kind of traumas or heartbreaks um, accumulate, they can kind of send you off. In, you know what I mean? They can send you like off the path of, happiness or life you know that kind of way so yeah. a way of just dealing with those kind of things which is hard to do you know what I mean because yeah. everyone's carrying kind of like dings and you know they're like a tin shield or whatever like that and they've got things so I think my relationship to heartbreak I don't know what it is personally you'd have to delve a lot deeper and I don't know if I can do that yeah. but I definitely know that that's what it does if you kind of like hold on to heartbreaks you hold on to kind of hits they can they can influence your life in a negative way you know yeah or, or a positive way if you can kind of use them to say well that's not going to happen again you know yeah yeah. It's funny, like, I think when I, like, think about, when I think about, like, my, like, stuff I first started, like, the way I got into writing, oh, like, yeah. I feel like that, was, like, heartbreak was kind of, like, my crutch. Like, it, it was the thing I felt comfortable in. Or, oh, right, yeah, or, like, yeah in, wallow in it. Like, yeah, like, in, right. in, or in, like, in the romantic sphere, yeah, but obviously, yeah, yeah. like, you know, no one likes plays about happy people sort of thing. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you, you know, I, I veered towards that, like, and it was like... How a, did you find that, though? How did people respond to that then? Yeah, in, like, interestingly, because I think, uh, I think I... 
I think why I did that was because it was like it was easier to talk about than probably some of the things or like it was in relationships was where like the real stuff became symptomatic. Yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like probably as I'm like hopefully improving as a writer or growing as an artist I think I'm learning to like look beneath so like maybe the thing is here but it's like yeah but maybe like 20 years ago was where that like where that insecurity that pops up in relationships now yeah, exactly. arose and like it's kind of the journey to there that's more interesting than than yeah. actually like you know a breakup or something like that yeah and what if I, what that, that does though as well it kind of it forces you to examine things mm. in your own past you know that maybe if you weren't an artist or you weren't talking to like a counselor or whatever like that you probably wouldn't spend much time thinking about it. you know the kind of way so like you're, yeah. you're making decisions based on you're making decisions based on kind of like a, a heartbreak from the past like you know what I mean or, or something that happened to you but you're not actually able to uh, articulate that because you know? I was interested when you were saying that about um, you know that thing about being in your 20s and that urgency to tell your story yeah, 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 like I was interested in that because like I've seen pretty much all of your work I reckon and like but that like accents and correct me if I'm wrong but that feels like the most kind of autobiographical or like outwardly personal thing in yeah. that like you're on stage as Emmett do you know what I mean yeah it was the, it was the first one that I did it like that yeah, and it's yeah. interesting to me that that was coming like you know that's your most recent work yeah. you know what I mean but you were saying that thing of like uh, yeah that drive to tell your story is in your 20s so wh wh what made you want to do that now at this point in your life um, I thought it would be kind of disingenuous to to write a, a play about another man that's just had a baby <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean like yeah. I call him like Dave <laughs> you know that kind of way <laughs> people like oh it's Dave you <laughs> yeah, like, oh. yeah. You and Dave have the same haircut. You know, like, oh, look, I gotta be honest. I'm Dave. You know, like everyone's like, um, so it's like, yeah, you know, that just that that kind of thing, like a deeply kind of personal thing. Whereas with the Mel's girl, it wasn't me. You know what I mean? It yeah. was a kind of like a dramatized version of different kind of stories that kind of a thought would be funny or kind of like you know aspects of a life or a kind of a starting or jumping off point, you know, <clears throat> of an incident, and then what would happen if you change the city, if you change the the characters slightly and he made them different you know so there was a drama that I really did want to write like a play play uh, when I mean that like you know a drama that could have different things happen mm. because autobiographical theatre and some people have a problem with kind of things that are autobiographical um, you're limited by the, the reality yeah. you know what I mean you can kind of like say you can amalgamate two events into one but ultimately like you have a morality is not a thing that's not the, that's not what I'm trying to say duty of care to kind of not misrepresent your life in a kind of way you know what I mean like yeah. you know you'd like um, you know you can amalgamate a timeline and say this happened over 48 hours as opposed to like 72 and no one's going to have a beef with that they're going to go well you did that because you, you only had an hour to tell the story yeah. whereas I think if it's fabrication but then saying this is what happened that you know you can't do that you know that kind of way yeah. whereas with a story like Dublin Old School that, like it didn't happen so you know then it is a story and it's a drama and you can go multiple different ways but the thing about accents was it was a very self-contained thing it did all happen mm. it is about the 12 hour period you know that kind of way like um, before the arrival of my son sorry people are listening pretty what's he talking about mm. accents was a, a a verse play that I wrote well over the last two years but rewrote it last year after the birth of my son uh, about and it's about my partner uh, and me and our son and I did it in collaboration with a musical artist uh, Owen French who performs 
as the musical project Talos. And he's a musician from Cork and he's an incredible multi-instrumentalist and composer and writer and artist. Like, uh, like um, all his album work is like, he makes that himself as well. Like he's just an incredibly multi-talented and an ar- he's an architect as well. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, he teaches architects. Yeah, he, like one of these kind of people, yeah, you know. And, yeah. um, just yeah you know that kind of like well you know all these kind of things Renaissance man yeah kind of yeah Yeah. incredibly impressive kind of man you know so myself and him self met like about four or five years ago and then he he said to me joking he's like you ever want music for that and I was like okay and then I called him on I was like hey do you want to make music for a show and um, so I wrote a show and it's it's all set like 12 hours before the arrival of my son which was just coming towards the end of COVID and, and kind of like what that meant and what happened and and then it delves into things. There's a few other poems that I wrote about kind of like growing up in talent and stuff like that for another mm. thing. And I was able to amalgamate all that together. So it kind of jumps around in time. But there's a, a narrative that it is all still me 12 hours before the arrival of my son, um, my wife giving birth to my son and what she's going through and what I'm going through. And then talking to my parents about things that happened in the past. And So anyway, that was that's a show. It was accents. But essentially, I come out onto stage and to talk about what we were talking about I, I introduce myself and I say how are you getting on my name's Emmett and by doing that you know you set out your stall at the beginning of the play narratively you go yeah it's me and yeah. I'm talking as me so and like it, like when I, when I was there anyway I would say it was the same every night like like it, that gets a laugh because I think people are yeah. really so relieved they're like oh thank fuck it you know yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like I've, I'm sure because uh, I really like the most recent show I made was autobiographical and I love yeah. that kind of work exactly and like, I put the title in my show yes. my name in the title you know like to, Big Fat Liar yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Filthy Disgusting Liar oh right yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, like um, we uh, but, but yeah like I've been to solo shows and like to the point where sometimes and it's just a personal preference thing but like sometimes it's about like you know a person in who went to drama school who like and it's so clearly autobiographical or yeah, like yeah, yeah, or yeah. like you know just some of the details fudged but like and it's like it, it's really frustrating when that barrier is put in place because you know, like so much of it, like that sort of work is about like trying to connect and trying to yeah. like, you know, get that, um, yeah, get that fizz, whatever, whatever it is. But I yeah. think that's a great way to do it is like to not put up any disconnect or any barriers and be like, yeah, I'm Emmett and you're whoever you are. And like, yeah, we're going to be in the room together. Like, it's such a relief to people. Well, yeah. And like, I, I kind of thought it was weird. It's like there's a lot of it's in America, in Britain, all over the world, like especially from the 80s and 90s, that kind of autobiographical single person show became you know just the way people would make shows you know there's like no money kind of like go anywhere in a suitcase and kind of put the show up Mm. and when I was in Edinburgh 20 years ago actually this year I seen a lot of shows like that like there were a lot of kind of stand up hybrids Mm. you know where a person comes out and goes this is me this is my story and a lot of kind of stand up specials are like that now and I remember reading a review of one in pre kind of like broadband internet so all the reviews were in the festival or the fest guide and one reviewer said he goes this is like the 30th one man one person show I've seen one woman show and uh, they said uh, he goes if you're gonna write a show about your life just make sure you fucking led an interesting life <laughs> or at least something funny happened to you anything you because yeah. yeah. uh, so like it's not that like, you've led an interesting life. I suppose it's about making the kind of mundane thing seem kind of interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if I, I it is a spoken word play. It's a verse play. So it, it is, and there's music to it. And um, we were lucky enough. There's Brian, Brian Dillon and Ben Bix. They're in a band called Melty Brains. Mm. They, they like they're also multi instrumentalists. And the two, the, the three of them mixed and recorded. Like they were doing all that live. So they're even sampling own singing 
and then compressing it and then kind of echoing it. Like a lot of even the samples were live. Wow. They were picking them up, recording them and then looping them back and stuff in the moment. Yeah, yeah like incredible stuff that was yeah. going on behind me. And there was a kind of gig aspect to it. Like, so they're talking to each other the way they would as a band, you know, turn that up, turn that down, going to the sound person. So you wouldn't be able to get away with that in a, sto- in a storyified version. Mm. Do you know where... I'm coming out and going, it was a cold, dark eve. Mark, I'm Mark. Walks out the door, you know that kind yeah, of way. Yeah. So you can't get away with it. So it allows people to kind of go, oh, I can take my eyes off the person talking him and I can look at the musician in the background or I can look at these guys or, you know, I can look at whatever is happening on stage. So I thought that kind of documentary theatre aspect to it was something that was different. Like the Worcester group and Steppenwolf not do that kind of stuff now this isn't I'm not saying my work is like that theirs is incredibly highly experimental and it uses mics and all that stuff but I just really like the idea of um, seeing the, the skeleton of the show Yeah. like you know Stop Making Sense the Talking Heads uh, concert video have you ever seen that? No he comes out at the beginning <clears throat> just um, with a guitar microphone stand and a small speaker and then the drums come on get rolled on then the lights so they construct yeah. the stage and then by the end, it's a full concert. Great. So yeah. the idea of seeing how everything gets put together. So when you walk out, like there's no artifice covering the drama. There's no artifice kind of blocking off the musicians behind a curtain. The musicians aren't in a pit. There's just all four of us on the stage. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do this thing and do this thing. Mm. But it's funny because the first time we did it, I got COVID. So we had to <laughs> shut it down. It was a bit kind of like, we thought people would be cool with that without kind of a story, essentially. And people were a bit kind of like, it's so funny how people need stories to latch onto. Mm. So it kind of seemed like it was eight songs, eight poems that were loosely connected, but not intrinsically like linked A to B to C to D. Like, so when we did it the second time, I had to actually write interconnecting pieces between each poem. Huh. In order for, you, did you see the second one? No, first. First one. So there was a little, like I mean, tiny, like one line. Yeah. Then it went from here to here. Then it went from there to Tala. Then I met my dad and it went to there. You know, like that was it. That was just, just those lines. Like that was it. And actually the show was received much better. Wow. Like it was received well the first time, but yeah, it, was, really well. it was it was much more of a kind of like reception. People were like, oh, and I really liked the story. And like the story was true, but we had kind of thought when we first made it, like, ah, people will just listen to it like an album, but they mm. won't because when they're in the theatre, they need something. Mm. So the point I'm making is, even though it's autobiographical, even though it's real, there is still a need to storyify and narrativize because people, when they watch something, are so used to seeing stories presented in a particular way mm. that when they don't see the story presented in a somewhat familiar way that covers the ancient art of storytelling, you know, like, what's a hero with a thousand faces or fucking the, five, the seven main narratives or whatever, like, they'll they'll kind of, they might go, oh, it's a bit all over the place, this. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit wild, this show. It's a bit all over the place. You know, and then you just throw in two lines to say, and then I went from here, they go, oh, now I get it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And I was like, literally six lines. That was it. Wow. You know, so yeah, that's that's, that's not writing one-on-one. That's just like, it's the good thing about doing theatre shows and then getting a second chance to do them. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, theatre shows come on and then they they have the potential to become better yeah. and bigger. and But they die, uh, you know, out the, like before they get out the gate mm. because people are so like they might get a bad review and then it just never comes back yeah. and it happens a lot in Irish theatre um, it doesn't happen in American theatre it might do off off Broadway then it goes to off Broadway then it goes to Broadway and each time they, they have a chance to take on board even if a review says maybe if they had it in this they go that's actually a good idea you can change the script, the script and, and re- remount it with the kind of notes taken if mm. that makes sense yeah. whereas a lot of things like especially in Ireland it's tough like you know something goes on 
in a main stage and it doesn't hit straight away, that's it. Mm. You know, you never see it again. Yeah. Uh, which is real tough. It was real. Makes you really sad about Irish theatre because so many brilliant writers and so many great players, and they just they, in order for them to kind of take hold, they need multiple productions. Mm. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off the tangent now. There, there no, but that's the the point of um. So with that, right? So I've done the autobiographical thing, like the poetry side, the like then like like a play play in Dublin Old School, as yeah. well as like TV and film stuff. Where yeah. where is your like artistic nose at now? What's the, uh, yeah, what's interesting you now? Um. Sometimes it's just dictated by like kind of what the job you've been given. Sure, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? of course, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Go on, do this because um, <laughs> I'm writing a novel at the moment. Uh, that's out well next year. Right. Yeah, <laughs> supposed to get into this year, but it's uh, this is the thing like you know giving yourself a deadline is good, but also meaningless. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's artistically in my mind right now, and that is interesting massively. You know what I mean? Because it's a I've written short stories and I've written kind of things in a past tense sense it's a TV show I wrote called Sarah and Steve mm. which is it's kind of strange it's, it's presented as a present present tense thing mm. where it's a direct address but then it's always recounting the thing that happened the night before so it's a strange kind of like yeah a lot of theatre one man shows maybe do a little bit of that they go but they're usually like I walked here and I walked there as opposed to what's the crack yeah so here I was out last night you know like so it's literally like pub storytelling mm. whereas with the, yeah so the, the, the way to kind of write this novel I've had to spend a lot of time going right, how do you how do I write this and how do I tell it and like what perspective do I tell it from mm. is it past tense is it present tense um, like Rabbit Room for example is done in present tense through a person so trying to figure out like those kind of things are you know so a lot of false starts and yeah yeah. So that's quite interesting you know what I mean just like it's something novelists have you know toyed with and played with you know what I mean but for me it's strange because I'm coming from a, from a playwright's perspective where everything's happening present tense and in the moment yeah. and, and dialogue and stuff like that so dialogue's a weird thing as well like trying to you know trying to write a book and not trying to write it sometimes books find it's kind of like a screenplay yeah that someone's trying you know what I mean so yeah. I'm trying to really kind of not drift into that like dialogue like not have like pages of dialogue you know what I mean so yeah being sparse with the dialogue is kind of interesting. So that's where I am artistically. The, the one time I actually did kind of go off on a, a tangent, like, and, and I I got money to put on a reading of it, like, but I wrote a play called The Last Partholonian, and that was based on Irish mythology. Right. And that was the thing that was really exciting me about a place where I grew up, the place where I grew up in Tallow is, is called a plague grave or the plague pit of the Partholonians. Right. So the Partholonians are a race of individuals that came from Scythia, which is kind of in modern day, and stretches all the way across like Eastern Europe and into Asia and you know Iran and Syria, and um, they're supposed to come here like about six thousand years ago, and they battled all these kind of demons from Tory Island called the Fomors. It's a huge part of the first cycle of Irish mythology. It's the mythological cycle, and it's not really talked about that much. But apparently, they're all buried in Tala. It's like a plague grave. They all died of a malady and died, and then there was one bald guy left and. It was an immortal named Two On and stuff. So this really sparked things. So I, I I wrote a play about that and did loads of study about it and then did a reading of it and there was about ten actors in it and it was fucking off the wall. <laughs> it was just like a bleeding fever dream. Yeah. Uh, and it was set back in the past, set in the present and in the future. And people were eating these kind of basically radioactive uh, grubs and things they found on the ground and 
there's lots of kind of like there's there's a, there's a, a maggot god in Irish mythology called Crom Crua, you know, and they were seeing him and stuff. And I I put it on and I just think people were like, that was fucking crazy. <laughs> so that's that's the one thing I've ever done that it was already it was a, it was a it was a rehearsed reading, you know what I mean? Like, but like loads of industry people would have came to see it. Like, and I think I done it after the middle school the play. Yeah. So I think they were all tough. They're just going to see some sort of progression of that or yeah. a mild progression of that. It was nothing like that. It was it was done in spoken word. It was done in monologue. It was done in dialogue. And it was fucking crazy. And it's not bad. I don't, I don't mean bad. Just yeah. crazy. And like all the theatre people that came to see it or the people that work in theatre were like, that's like, it's about 200 grand's worth of a show. <laughs> yeah. Could it be, instead of 10 people, could it be four? Yeah. Could it be whatever? You know, so... There is a story there that I'd love to kind of go back to, mm. maybe uh, to write it in a kind of more Greek theatre way, you know, maybe a singular act actor with the Greek chorus or something like mm. that, you know, telling the story kind of in that that fashion. Um, yeah, and like, and that was another thing when I wrote. I don't know if you've seen Straight the Video, did you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Straight the Video was kind of like I was looking at five act structures of plays, so that was really kind of interesting to kind of delve into that, like get the time to delve into that. So mm. Greek tragedies and. Greek play, Greek satire plays, satire plays that um, had a five act structure, you know, and kind of like how they how they resolve themselves with um, Deus Ex Machina, you know, yeah. what do you do? Like how do you how do you get out of this particular knot you've tied the play into, you know? So that was one of the things I was doing with straight to video. So a lot of times, like I'm quite lucky in the sense that I've been allowed to kind of write things that interest me mm. always, and uh, people are like, "Would you write this?" Like and I was like, "Not really." Like they're like, "You should do this." I was like, "Fuck off!" Like. <laughs> Why, what do people tell you you should do? I don't know, like, and I don't know why people, like, it's such a weird thing being an artist, like, people telling you, like, you see what you'd need to do now. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I have no fucking interest in doing that, though, or writing that. Yeah. You know what I go? But I think we got to be like, something like, so they're like, they're three plays, like, so that Partholonium was set in Talat, but like a, a dystopian or past, present, and future version. Straight to Video was set in the past, and then I wrote a radio play for BBC called Wild West, which was also set in Talat. So I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, yeah, like, you know, this could kind of make up a larger kind of like series of Tala plays. And then I thought about Dublin Old School and Accents kind of being Dublin-based plays, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. To, you know, a, a body of work that could revolve around that. But like, you'd be amazed how many people when you, you, you make work and go, this is my work. And they say, your work should be this though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's weird. It happens with a lot of kind of people who are reviewing things. Like, and again, John Updike, I don't know why I keep talking about him. He is. He was a reviewer for the New Yorker, and he said, "Um, he's ten, ten, ten pointers on how to be a good reviewer." He said, "Review something for what it is, and for not for what. Review something for what it is, not for what it isn't." Yeah. And a lot of the time, people go to see shows and they criticize it for being the play that it's not. Mm. It should have been this. It's like, but it's not that though. Yeah. It's this play. So what do you think of this play? It would have been better if he had had a character that did X, Y, and Z. And you say, but he didn't have that character. Yeah. And like, that's your idea for that play. And that happens a lot. Like, people impress their own kind of artistic ideas on the things they see and they critique them based on what they thought things should have become. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of one of the problems with like modern geek culture, right? Like, you know, everyone has the perfect Star Wars movie in their head. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, not yeah. the one they, they watch, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Hey guys, just jumping in to let you know about a new podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's called Sissy That Pod, a RuPaul Drag Race recap podcast. It's a must listen for any fans of the Emmy award winning show. And if you want to have a listen, here's a little taster. 
Sissy That Pod is a reaction podcast to all things RuPaul's Drag Race. You may have seen the memes or you may have seen the queens, but if you watch the show, then you're going to want to listen to Sissy That Pod. Every week after the TV show airs, we have a new episode with a new guest analysing, speculating and dissecting the show. Who's going to win Snatch Game? Will there be a lip-sync Lollapurusa? Who's going to be crowned Miss Congeniality? These are all big questions in our world. I'm currently covering Drag Race Season 15 with our extra special guest host, comedian and actress Erin McGaffey. So, in the words of Shania Twain, come on over and come on in to the world of Sissy That Pod, wherever you get your podcasts or on Headstuff Plus. So guys, once again, that's Sissy That Pod, a RuPaul's Drag Race recap podcast. Do take a listen if it's up your street. And now, back to personality bingo. Let's give it a spin. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Number 14, do you have it? Uh, do I have number 14? What time is it actually? Sorry, I'm delaying it. Uh, <laughs> number 14, no, I don't have it. No worries. Um, number 14, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, number 14, what have you learned about being a son? About being a son? Yeah. Um, geez, I don't know. <coughs> does, um, does becoming a dad change how you feel about being a son? Yeah, I think it does. Like, I think, yeah, it does. You kind of like... Great, you're kind of like, I'm sure everybody, you know, again, this is like some fucking ridiculous thing. People are going, you know, yeah. <laughs> well done for this epiphany of wisdom. <laughs> what sage advice do you have for us, Emmett? What have you got for us? Uh, I just think, yeah, you kind of like a greater kind of appreciation for um, family or, or what your parents did. Yeah. Or what they sacrificed or what they kind of, I don't know. Sacrifice isn't the right word. I fucking hate that like it's like giving up some fucking like <laughs> I don't know um, but what they what they did for you yeah you know and that that kind of appreciation I suppose gives you a greater appreciation for your dad gives you a greater appreciation for your mother and um, yeah and you know makes you more thankful for them I don't know if it changes how you're a son but um, it definitely gives you a greater appreciation for them so, you know, I think it's good to let them know that. Mm. You know, top job, lads. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> it, Thanks for the Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I have a real sense of like um, when when I go down that route, fingers crossed. Like, and uh, having kids and that sort of thing. Like, I I don't know why, but I feel it like intrinsically that I'm gonna find that experience really emotional seeing my parents potentially with my yeah, child. Yeah, your child. I, yeah, I can yeah. just, I even when I think of that, I can really feel myself well enough. Oh, well, right, yeah, 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 that's lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, and I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. I like, yeah, it's, it's in, it's in, I just think, actually, it's funny, when we were um, making uh, my play, we were yeah. uh, writing, and I think you must have been doing some press for Accents because you were on the week before us. Right. And uh, I didn't, I didn't hear it, so feel free to say, I never said this. Oh, but yeah. I, I think it was on a, uh, um, the or- arena and I think you said something along the lines of that all uh, I'm definitely paraphrasing here uh, all good plays are about family or something like that yeah. Who's, which someone else said you were quoting maybe or else you yeah. were saying I don't know no no I think it is a quote I think um, no I think that is a quote I think it's like a kind of well known thing that the majority of popular kind of shows if you think about it, even movies yeah. there's a family at the centre of them mm. The Godfather yeah. and I know that's like obviously that's not what we're making but you know that that's a show about a family and so there is that thing that the universal, like everybody comes from a family of some sort mm. or some kind, whatever that is. It's the family you have, or the family you found, mm. and yeah, like people latch onto that. So because there is the, and it's even those kind of things like family dramas. Even if there is something that's fantastical, 
E.T. for example. Mm. E.T. is a film about an alien dropping into your back garden, but it's also about a a family dealing with a divorce. Mm. So, you know, Spielberg's new film, The Fablemans, yeah. is obviously, you see that now, that that's obviously, E.T. was, he was basically making the first version of The Fablemans. Yeah, right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, so he was like, he was talking about his own experiences. So what he did was, he took the fantastical, he took a thing like that, like people would thought they were interested in, but really the thing they're all interested in is, well, that family seems like my family and what would happen, you know, so those kind of like conversations at the dinner table about mm. where's dad going to be this year? Like he's gone off with his new girlfriend and they're like, you fucking idiot, why did you say that? Like, so those kind of like things and that's why those those fantastical science fiction films are films that exist in a fantastical world don't work mm. because they don't have some sort of underlying real world science or logic to them, you know? Yeah. Like the Game of Thrones, that's about family as well. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just talking about those fantastical elements but all those kind of other stories, the best stories, like um, the new Paul... After some, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, like which he's brilliant in that and fucking great, but it's brilliant because it's like it's about him and you know a father and a daughter and yeah. the divorce, you know what I mean. So those kind of people, so universal things, but like it is, you know what I mean. It's they're the things that are the most popular, you know, that um, that people latch onto, you know, and when um, when things aren't as successful, they probably don't have that family at the center of it, you know. Yeah, and again, it's it's either family you have or family you found. Yeah. You know. It's belonging, like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun, and I think that's what it like, and and I think that's what I'm talking about when I say when I when I, like first started writing like that thing of like the the heartbreak thing or the romance thing, like that felt yeah. real accessible because I think it's in a way not that that's not like got a vulnerability to it because of course it can, but like it, there, there's it, there's something about the family stuff that like I know for instance when I watch a movie like if I'm gonna cry it's gonna be the same things nearly always that make me cry yeah, yeah, and I yeah, know yeah. what they are like my triggers are fathers and sons right, and no. there's someone what like what is that? I'm, I'm sure it's with my relationship with my own dad and because yeah. the second one is when someone like achieves their dreams oh right yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I would say they're both connected because I think that's one thing like the things that me and my like and me and my dad are really close like but yeah, the things we'd bond over would be like uh, like there's nothing I love more than like getting good work news and like telling him you know what I mean because <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, appreciates yeah. that or like uh, like uh, you know um, yeah or, or like uh yeah, I don't know. It's like it's the the common language we have. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Totally, because sure like time. that's. And do you think like like knowing you and knowing like you're working on like you're a happy guy, and you know, do you think like you're it's a testament because of the good relationship you have with your mom and your dad and stuff like that? Is that like? Yeah, like I mean, uh, like and it's funny because the like the most recent show I made, which is really yeah. like it's actually it's really a show about. I was going to ask you actually, how did that go, and what like what you know what was it, and how did it go? Yeah, it went it went brilliantly like it was it was it was the i mean for me as the maker it was the thing i'm like i'm most proud of which Brilliant. is always Excellent. a nice thing yeah, to come yeah. away and i felt like i really uh yeah i said i said something that i that i'm really like proud of and that i think really connected with people in yeah. a way that i kind of always like aspired to do but didn't know if i could yes you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah. and it seemed to it seemed to like for me, it it certainly felt uh, like a really pertinent thing to say. But I think you know, then you do it on your first preview, and it's kind of fingers crossed, and then you can see it in the audience. And it, like it is one of them shows where people laugh and then they cry, and hopefully oh, they goodness. leave somewhere in the middle. And yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. like totally that's what I like to make. But like really, like the the, the it's it's really a show about like wanting to make your parents proud, right. but also wanting to be like not have to lie or hide or pretend and be the authentic version of you and like yeah. it's about that tension of like if I am that and like I talk about 
the the ugly parts of myself and like right. things that like happened in our house and things that I've done on my own that I'm not necessarily proud of like will I still be intrinsically worthy of love and acceptable like yeah. that's what the show is really yeah, yeah, and yeah. like I think that and, and maybe that's why like that idea of like family and stuff I do find very emotional because I think now I would feel secure in that but for a long time I think that was a genuine question like I was grappling with oh, was right. like you know yeah, like, so you're saying, like, oh, I know you as, like, a very happy kind of person, and I am. Yeah. But I'd also say that's, like, it's it's not a front. Well, not necessarily happy, but I mean, like, kind of together and kind of, yeah. like, well, you know, you're, you're uh, how's it like, not that you have it all figured out, but, like, yeah. you know, you're happy and you're kind of, like, you don't seem like a negative person, I suppose. No, not at all. Yeah, but, like, yeah. I'm, I'd be really interested in, like, I'm kind of, like, but, like, what's the what's the sort of wound that that's, like, protecting? Or, like, where, <laughs> where, where did that come from? Right, yeah, Cause, yeah. Because, like, I, and, like, that's, a like, a beat in the show where I, like, talk about my smile because I've got this, like, this is, an, like, an audio format, so this is useless, but I've got a really big smile. Yeah, it's like, good. It, it, yeah, it's a good thing yeah. to have. But also, like, I don't think it's, like, particularly normal. And I, I, I oh, think really? it's, like, yeah, I think it's, like, a, a defense mechanism and a right. tool and a shield and all of that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, like that, that I, like, that idea of, like, but, like, and so when, like, so I think, say, doing, like, the shows about, like, love or heartbreak like it's kind of fun to be like that like kind of uh like you know or like upbeat guy and jesus isn't dating hard and you know loads, like it's all really relatable and yeah, stuff yeah. like that especially when you're in your 20s and it's it's so valid and there's like there's like loads to be said in that in that space but like yeah i think like the 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 evolution i think for me in my work and it's funny having done that now and seen like the what that like yeah just feeling like oh no this is like this is a really interesting space to be in. It's just interesting how that reframes stuff going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because you, because you, you sort of create a new ceiling for yourself every time. Because yeah. like you know, you you kind of, yeah, you you know, hopefully you're gonna like evolve. And then when when something when something works, it's like that weird tension of like you don't want to then like become formulaic and be like, well, that worked. So I've got to do that oh, for the yeah, next. Oh yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah you, you can't. Do something, but yeah, like you can also different. learn lessons from it. And like, but what about that? Is a transferable lesson? You know what I mean? Yeah, big time, big time, big time. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you do. Like you learn it and you go, you're not going to repeat the same thing again because no one wants to see that. But also, there is a familiarity that people want, you know, and they'll get that though just because it's you making it. You yeah. know, that kind of way. Like, but yeah. even like, straight the video was like that when I made it. Like, it was like a kind of complete departure. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it was like, it wasn't, it was, not that it wasn't serious, but you know, it's kind of, yeah, people can kind of like, they can respond to things. They respond to each thing differently. And hopefully they do because hopefully everything's different because mm. once it becomes the same thing, like a real, could happen a lot like people just make the same film they make the same play write the same book yeah. again 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 with you know different perspective on it on the same kind of subject matter you know that kind of way completely just, yeah uh, yeah but it won the award the Billy's or not the Billy's uh, yeah we got a, a fish amble award for new writing yeah excellent. which was great like it yeah. was yeah it was fantastic so yeah hopefully we'll give it another life now you say year. we yeah, well, I worked with a, a, a play scientist. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dramaturg, I worked yeah. with a dramaturg, uh, and his name's Davy Kelleher. Don't know if you know, Davey you know Davey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was absolutely incredible. Like, yeah, he, he yeah. just totally blew the ceiling off, like what it could be. So yeah. it, it really does. It's one of those things, like, yeah, it's sort of your name on it. <laughs> My name is in the title, but it, it really felt like a, a wee. Um, and like even the producer on it, like Lisa Nally, and it was like, yeah. And it, do you know that was the other thing as well? And like hearing you speak to the collaborators you've worked with and the importance of that but oh, yeah. I think it was like probably not like it'd be disingenuous to say like the first time but like it was like I really felt at home with my collaborators yeah. and like the synthesis there just worked Daddy. and like so again that's another thing going forward like that's transferable like to try find it doesn't have to be the same people necessarily oh, no, and it could be but it, it it's like that like I guess just 
more heads, more bodies like elevate oh, the yeah. ceiling. Well, that's like relaxing well, those, those lads. Like you know, they're incredible. You know what I mean? All musicians yeah. like, and they just knew so much stuff that like, I had <laughs> yeah. no idea about. Like so. Yeah. It's that thing of just getting people that are smarter than you <laughs> in yeah. the room as well and going like, yeah, well, what do you think of this? Like, how are we going to do it? For sure. But yeah, yeah, that's, how you, that's, that's the best way of doing it, you know? Nice, right. I'm conscious of getting in here. I no, think we've got okay. time for two more spins, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's I'm do like, it. I might be getting a taxi anyway, so... Okay, uh, yeah. sweet. Right. Um, number two, do you have it? I do have two. You do have two. So what do Fantastic. I do? Give I it a tick off. Tick I mean, you've off. got five more to go and I said we're going to do two <laughs> more balls, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You lose. It, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it doesn't bode well. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Number two, um, <laughs> is there anything in your life that drives you fucking crazy? People that talk in cinemas. Oh, yeah. Fucking drives me bonkers. Yeah. And people that let their dogs shit on the street. Mm-hmm. I, no, I can't understand them when they do it in fields, but at least if it's in a field. Well, no, actually, that's fucking shit as well because <laughs> the kids then are playing and like, I do not get, I cannot wrap my fucking head around people that allow dogs to shit on like a high street not like a shop that's highly populated with people walking down and the dog just sits there and takes a crap and they leave it and mm. uh, that drives me bonkers and people that talk in cinemas and I mean loudly talk fucking drives me bonkers mm. I don't like I mean it's just my age or whatever but I, like I really do I'm just like please God stop talking like you know yeah, um, yeah. like I've had people like take out their phone and go alright <laughs> like, like, oh. <laughs> like what you know yeah. and it's weird though it's like there's a few experiences I've had of like in America it's kind of funny when people shout at the screen yeah. that's not what I'm talking about yeah. that's hilarious yeah. you know people are like oh get him you know like yeah, yeah, someone yeah. is like you know oh shit you know it's like he did this like you know it's like that's that's great or like if an explosion happens people are like yes you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that's different but like it goes different ways I was in a cinema in New York and that, that, that when people talk like that's when shit like kicks off like right. um, I seen like a bloke like going hey Put your fucking phone down and shut the fuck up. And they're like, you, t-, you know, like in proper, like, you know, s- sitcom or something like from a cartoon. Like yeah. people go, oh, you shut the fuck up and all. Like, it was the contagion. Remember that film? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was seeing that in a cinema in New York about 12 years ago. And fucking, and like a full, full, full blown fly kicked off. And sometimes it's happened at, like, Dublin, you have to kind of go, like, sorry, man, you wouldn't mind just, like, not talking. And most people just go, oh, yeah, cool. But I've seen it, like, on, you know, people. Like asking someone to shoot up and someone just turn around and go, No. <laughs> it's like and then it kicks off and then people are telling the person who told that person to shoot up, shoot up. Yeah. So like I, I it depends, like I will get up and leave the cinema. Like if 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 you think because I know by the person I go, he's talking all the way through this. There's only five of us in here. I'm going, I'm leaving. I'm gonna give him money back because I'm not sitting there. I can't I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And dog shitting on the footpath. I don't get it. Like yeah. or the worst thing, people taking bags. Right yeah. with them for the dog shit, putting the dog shit in the bag, and then leaving the bag on the ground. Ah, oh, that's outrageous. So what they're doing is they're basically leaving <laughs> something that was biodegradable with the rain or whatever yeah. get washed away, and then putting a fucking thing around it that'll last like a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. to decompose, and they're gonna have, like mummify the fucking shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're like, what are you doing? Just Put it in a fucking bin. Yeah. Excuse my language. I probably have to curse them about 50 times there. Stay, that, that's how you know. That's the thing that annoys me. Yeah, no, there's a curse word in the question. I think that, yeah. All right. Um, what, but uh, are you are you good at um, those, like, day-to-day kind of confrontations? Like, or, like, uh, I, I fucking hate the phrase because it's so, um, it's so, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's very Twitter. But, like, of calling something out. You know what I mean? Like that, if oh, you see it. Oh, 
Well, like not big stuff. I mean, like like shit on the path, on the path, or you see someone and their dog, and they walk off, and you're like, would you say it? Depends. Like it's kind of that thing of like you know, do you need that kind of? Do you need to feel shit for the rest of the day about a conversation that like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's on them. Like you know, yeah, it's like yeah. that kind of like I'm not gonna give out to someone for like. What's the, 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 I was reading it recently. There was obviously some article I read about the. Oh no, yeah, it was on like Vice or something like that. I was reading, it was like the shopping trolley thing. You know, do you put your shopping trolley back? Oh, right, yeah. Or not, and like it depends. Like, so, you yeah. know, we're all like the, the social contract, like we're all in it together. Like, yeah. The people that do think that they have responsibilities to the people around them, people that don't, they're like, nah, fuck it. Yeah. So, you know, it depends. Like, you know, it's like one of two things will happen. Like, I, I seen a guy, it wasn't me, I seen two young fellas throwing a, a full bottle like a half bottle of coke on the ground yeah. and an older man saying can you pick that up and the young fellow just going to him nah my arms tired and the old man I could see getting kind of not old man well he was he's about 65 or 70 and it happened like away from me I mm. could see it and hear it and he became quite upset and I became upset for him because mm. they were not only were they being pricks but they were then being disrespectful to him so it's like that thing of if something happens like what do you do in that situation yeah. you know Um went to intercede is it worth it yeah so like the odd time I've interceded like on a, on a bus or a Lewis if someone's getting started on yeah. you know what I mean like that's when you step up and go actually you know what you know sit down yeah. fucking and like you know that's not gonna happen Um, and the cinema thing I usually just get up and walk away from because it's that thing of like you know do you want to feel shit for the rest of the day do you want to get into an argument with someone because someone could do and there's ways around that I think you just go never be confrontational never be aggressive never go like Sorry, mate, you wouldn't mind. Just, just wanted, just because, you know, the heads of the fucking just wanted to watch this. You wouldn't mind if you just didn't talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, Something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, people I think appreciate that. And they kind of, and sometimes people don't even know they're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's like, don't ever meet anything with that, you know? The dog shit thing, though, I don't know. I never, I never see anybody I ever see picks it up. Yeah. I think the reason why people let their dog shit in the ground is because they think nobody's watching. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So anytime I've seen someone with a dog shit in the ground, they're picking it up because I'm standing, not yeah. watching them, but I'm walking past. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So it's re it's one of those kind of things. That great question. Do you obey the rules of society because you feel that you're contributing to the greater good by following those rules mm. and helping other people out? Or are you only following those rules because you feel you're being observed? Yeah. And if somebody wasn't observing you, would you still follow the rules of society? Mm. And that's why those stories, like, not the film, but like, I Am Legend, the book, the whole thing is actually about that. Mm. If you were the last man and you had the ability to do anything, would you? You know, so there's, he has a number of moral dilemmas that he could go, he goes, well, I could do this, but nobody's going to know. Yeah. Because I'm the last man. Yeah. Literally. And um, <coughs> in the book, he's fighting vampires and stuff. You know, it, it, it's schlock. It seems like schlock, but it's an incredible book. Yeah. Um, it's one of Stephen King's favorite books, he said. And yeah, so it's this kind of, the whole book is a treatise on that kind of moral argument of like, whichever Greek philosopher it was that came up with it first, you know, are you following the rules because you're a good person and you want to help everyone else? Are you following the rules because you're afraid if you don't, you'll get caught? Yeah. You know, so that's the thing. I think that's a, a broader kind of question than that. Like, so a lot of times, like, let them, you know, that's on them, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, yeah. Right, let's do one more. Right. Okay. All right. It's number 36. Do you have it? No. 
No worries. Uh, <laughs> one out of six. <laughs> yeah, the, the odds of getting one are good though, are they? I'm not. Uh, yeah, one one is about I'd say one or two is average. Yeah. So it's not it's not terrible. All right. Um, number thirty six. Um, where is your happy place? I don't know. Um, I suppose this to be kind of really like sentimental <laughs> no it's just like right. it's not where the way you can be it is just with me and my family you know what yeah, I mean all yeah. three of us you know what I mean being together and uh, yeah we got a new table yesterday so with the gaff we were living in that we had to move into it was a rental accommodation there was no table and uh, so we've been living without a table so we've been kind of having dinners with a baby chair and the couch and a kind of fucking coffee table kind of thing and we had a dinner last night after I constructed the table Mm. made it and then we were have to kind of slot the baby in small ta- you know it's like a kind of Ikea kind of table whatever yeah. so yeah the three of us there I was like this is nice there's a happy place what you know have for I mean? dinner what to have for dinner I'll tell you what I had had a chicken right <laughs> here's the thing usually it's fish tacos but we 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 reckon mixed it up a bit yeah. it's chicken peppers onions with a mix of Garlic, smoked paprika, piri piri seasoning, and something else, Cajun seasoning. Yeah. Throw all that into the air fryer. Then made a salsa, mango, red onion, cherry tomatoes, coriander leaf, lime juice, salt and pepper. And what else do we have? Avocado and sour cream. And yeah, so it was all kind of served family style and the only reason I know that is because we watch uh, what's that show Below Deck yeah strongly recommend it okay. Below Deck Sailing Yacht is the best one there's an Irish uh, uh, person in that one uh, it's a reality TV show it's the only one I watch uh, so yeah we did that that was what we had yeah it was kind of like uh, what do you, what do you call it like fajitas or burritos no fajitas yeah chicken fajitas yeah, yeah. and then the missus shredded the chicken but she's my partner is an incredible cook and uh, she makes beautiful meals for both me and the baby. She's uh, she's all about cooking them, like all these cool kind of treats, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of regretting that it's going to turn into. I have two more questions for you, but no, go on, go on, go no, on, but yeah, they're yeah. about. They're actually just about the most mundane things. Yeah, are you, that's are you, cool. Are you good at cooking? No, uh, it wasn't, and I was. <laughs> my partner is. She's an incredible cook. She's incredibly uh, world cuisine wise. Like you know, she knows the world of cuisine. She's travelled extensively and. She lived abroad in, in, in Barcelona for a number of years and different places. So she was an incredible cook yeah. and has learned how to cook and um, really delicious meals. She makes loads of kind of like things from scratch for the baby, like all these, you know, because, you know, the pouches. Yeah. She have to kind of do the, like what's in them and then just, just make them without any of the crap, you know, this kind of way. So yeah. this is a big thing she got into, like, and it's great. So she makes brilliant food. So when we got together, she's just like, <laughs> you were a fucking... <laughs> You were a bleeding peasant. I'd be like, oh, right, bit of chicken, get a sauce, banging on top. Do you want rice? She's like, what? You know what I mean? Like, I think like for a second day, I cooked her like a bolognese and she's like, are you for real? The fucking state of that. It's like something like, can smell the broken dreams and working class desperation of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If this thing was a play, it'd be fucking a Mike Lee. <laughs> it's a Mike Lee, Mike Lee play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just it was terrible. So, through a war of attrition, she has taught me to be a better cook. Yeah. And I, but I don't, I have about seven meals. And then, like, what happens is I clatch on onto something that's good and I remake, like the fish tacos thing. Yeah. 
and I'll make that and then she's like I'm I've, I'm not having that again I can't have that again get a new dish yeah. so I usually go through a new dish every two months and then like so at the moment that's what it was last night it was a, a play on the fish tacos thing you know that's not bad I made chicken ariabata the other night I know this is like this is the stuff everybody wants to hear yeah Just, yeah that was great <laughs> it's a spicy pasta chicken bake um, everybody should try it Okay, I've got one last domestic question for you. Are, what what are you good at? Um, are you good at flat pack furniture? Yes. Are you? I made I made a, I made a table yesterday and two chairs. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna say this with all the respect in the world. Yeah. But I I didn't think you would be. Oh really? What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't Why? Know. What are you I trying to say? Ah, you're too good at art <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, good yeah. at that. No, well, I'm quite handy. Like I would have like. Do you know what that is? Yeah. And this is like not to get into the politics of it. Yeah. That's from fucking living, in. Rental accommodation, yeah, expensive rental accommodation, not shit. Exp- well, shit accommodation that's fucking expensive. <laughs> yeah. That I have to fucking every time I go into it, fix it up. Yeah, and I, I have had to like. It's not. They're not going to be listening to it anyway. But I've had to like. I've had to literally DIY every gaff I've lived in in the last twenty years, uh, because landlords just like I don't have any money. It's like, but there's a fucking hole in the wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So like getting handy like that. So over the last like 10 years, I've, acc- I've accumulated like a proper tool shed. You know what I mean? Like and, and tools. So, wow. and then a few of my mates are you know, quite handy. So if they, I can't do it, they'll come over, you know? Because like anybody who rents knows what it's like asking the landlord for anything. It's like, oh, sure, you, why, why would you need that? It's like, well, because there's a fucking hole in the wall and there's draft coming in. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a broken window or this isn't safe. So like, you know, taking doors off kitchens and putting them back on or, you know, I figured out how to, what did I do recently? And then Wardy and Gaff, so it has like, they're called latch locks. Mm. You know, like a kind yeah. of fucking, there's a box, there's a whole mechanism with it. Yeah. So I had to go get one of them. And fit and put and fit a new one, you know, because yeah, yeah. otherwise the door to my room wouldn't close, you know, and the life in the streets was coming, you know, this kind of shit. Yeah. So just by nature of that, and then like so, and then when you get to a place like, if it doesn't have stuff, you're just kind of accumulating that kind of flat back furniture, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I've done, I've done, done a table, a couch, two sets of drawers, and multiple other things in the last eighteen months. Like, and I'm, I'm previous to that as well, you know what I mean? Like fixing things together and making things. So I've actually become quite handy with it, and also fixing up. <coughs> excuse me fixing up old pieces of furniture you know yeah. because of uh, not going like I'm not spending 300 quid on something when this is here you know or sanding yeah. it down and doing something with it you know what I mean so gotten quite handy you know do you yeah. know that thing just at the start of that question right and we can cut this out if you want but yeah. you know when you say like without getting political or that yeah, sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I, I'm just curious like is that something that like that haven't been political in the past and yeah. like it, it's like you know, I, I'm sure <laughs> if I say like the Instagram clips or the Twitter things that yeah, go yeah, yeah. every now and again, you're going to know what I mean. Like, d- does that like take something from you or, or bother you or? Uh, no, it's just like, I suppose if it's something you're kind of dare to talk about art or something like that, you know what I mean? You yeah. just go, well, let's talk about art, you know, in a kind of way. And a yeah. lot of the time art is political. But yeah. what happens is the ability to kind of put forward a kind of much more cogent thought out thoughtful and reasoned argument is a lot easier to do once you've given it time and um, thought mm. so for a theatre show for example like oh, right, well I actually think and think about this and thought about it deeply and it's in my new theatre show so if you want to see that yeah. you'll see what I think about that whereas kind of political analysis on the hoof 
you'll talk about something that you've probably thought about. And you go, actually, here's an opinion I have about this. And so it does kind of like the febrile kind of nature of those things um, can then detract from whatever you are trying to make. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is in the show. Yeah. And is on this. You know what I mean? It's like, so everything I do is about class. Not everything, but class is a major point in it. Mm. And that's just the nature of some artists that like that. Like, this is a, a preoccupation. Time travel is also in everything I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's in kind of accents. It's in Dublin Old School. It's in straight, straight to video. Two yeah. in different degrees. You know what right, I mean? Like, yeah. uh, straight, Dublin Old School is a time loop. Straight to video, there's an actual fucking time traveler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, accents, there's a kind of idea of time travel through the mind. You know, where the mind goes. Can you live in the past and the future, uh, present and the future? That thing, the last Barcelonian. And then class is another thing that kind of upset, like, is another obsession. And then different kind of things. And these are the things that that set out you as your stall as an artist. And mm. these are the reasons why people want to hear you. You know what I mean? Because they, they know that you've thought about it deeply. And if you've thought about it deeply, there might be something interesting you have to say about it. Mm. But in a, in, a, in, a, in a short form analysis, those things kind of like can get lost in other conversations. You know, that kind of way. Like, and it then becomes the thing that gets picked. Like, there's an hour-long interview. And then because people know that clickbait, you know, that drives to their website or whatever you know so th that's not that's not what's happening here but what can happen sometimes when you're talking to people like they're 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 talking to you for an hour just to get that one minute conversation yeah because they know that that might generate traffic towards something you yeah know? so that's what i mean by that like it's like you can the point you're trying to make can get lost in in, in something smaller that you may see like not off the cuff but like some analysis that you have about something you know yeah and um yeah who needs it? You know, 100%, kind of like fucking, yeah. yeah, who needs it? Like kind of uh, battling fucking angry kind of like, you know, dads, you know what I mean? Like yeah. fucking it's not what life is for. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's fucking like, Jesus Christ. Like, um, yeah. Life is for battling people who leave dog shit on the fucking Yeah, path. yeah, 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 yeah. Just fuck, pick up your dog shit. Man. Listen, I'm trying to watch fucking John Wick 3. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Can't hear the gunshots, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, come here. Uh, Emma, thanks so much for playing Personality Bingo. Nice one. Thank you for having me. Um, is there anything that you want to plug, social media, gigs, anything like that coming up? Or Do you know what? No. Yeah. I've got nothing. Great. I've got stuff that I'm in that I'm working on as an actor I'm going to do two films now in the next world but I can't say what they are so it doesn't matter yeah. so for once I don't have on the plug I might be doing accents later in the year uh, at, at some music festivals um, uh, maybe it might come back for another run but no there's nothing I'm doing a thing tonight actually and I should give it a shout uh, no actually there is something mm. to plug I know it'll probably be over but I think if you have the opportunity to look at it even in an archive mm. um, Grace Dias has done a piece called uh, a Mary Magdalene experience it's a 45 minute um, film that she's made that you can see in the Rural Red Theatre and it's part of a body of work called uh, all based around Mary Magdalene where they've asked five artists uh, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head but Jessie Jones another one from, from Tala from my house in state where I grew up she's an incredible artist she's done one and I think um, another artist did a piece and the writer Sinead Gleeson responded to it Yeah, and I have been asked to respond to Grace's work so I wrote a, a piece, um, a poem, monologue, kind of. A lot of people wrote essays, like this is what I did, that will be printed alongside some images of her work. And uh, yeah, I'm going to do that tonight now. I'm going to actually read that to uh, for an audience in the Real Red um, art space. And that that's the Real Red's an art space. It's in Tala. It's an incredible place. <coughs> art gallery, um, rehearsal studios, dance studios. Like, it's a place that you can go if you're from Tala as a cafe, 
there's a gallery, there's a cinema, there's, uh, they, well, not necessarily a cinema, but the showings of different things. And there's like, you know, there's a Mac room, there's a PC room, there's all these things. You can go make work there. And uh, it's an incredible facility and it's right beside the Civic Theatre in Tala. And um, so, yeah, it's it's a great place. And Grace Dias, who you know, is part of the theatre club. Grace is an incredible artist. I love Grace's work. I've always loved it. I've always loved how she uh, she made stuff that was overtly political. She always spoke her mind. And um, she, as well, were kind of similar in the sense that uh, we write from a working class perspective. And class is a, is a is an interest that we have in a country that essentially continuously tells its citizens that class doesn't exist. Mm. And an arts scene that says that class doesn't exist, but continues to make works about people from different classes. Uh, you know, it's like a lot of filmmakers out there saying they live in a classless society and then write things set in fucking Tala. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or not necessarily Tala, I mean, just like working class place, whether that be in Limerick, Cork, Dublin, fucking Mayo, Belfast, wherever. Um, you know, so yeah, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, class doesn't exist, but it's like, it does. So yeah, so Grace is, yeah, an incredible artist and uh, she's a theatre maker, but she is now, and a writer and uh, essayist, activist, and she's also moving into filmmaking now. So I know she's done that film for the Rue Red and she is going to make uh, a short film, actually, I think that'll be out this year as part of the signature short. So I look forward to everything she's going to do. And so I wrote the piece based on what she did. So it's a response to that and it's called There Is and it's about Mary Magdalene. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a bit mad, it's a bit mad, but it's good. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it'll be printed, so it'll be out there, it'll be out in the world, it'll be in the world for people to read, you know. Beautiful, Emma Kerwin, thanks for playing personality You're bingo, gentlemen. Thank you so much. So that was Emmett Kerwin playing Personality Bingo. Emmett, if you're listening once again, a massive thank you for taking the time to do the chat to kick off season two, right? Like I said, we've got an amazing season of episodes to come. I really can't wait to bring them to you. But the best way for me to do that is, of course, if you subscribe on your feed, wherever you get your podcast, please, like I said, if you can at all, do mention it to a mate, screenshot it, pop it in a WhatsApp group, pop it on your Instagram, Twitter, whatever you do, if you can, that would mean the world. But before I go any further, most importantly, I want to give a massive shout out to our wonderful team here at the Headstuff Podcast Network for looking after us so well, to the wonderful Megan Fox for all the amazing work she does on our edits, to Claudia, to Paddy, to Connor, all the team at Headstuff. I also want to give a huge thank you to the wonderful Connor Nolan for our beautiful artwork, to Leah Moore, my dear, dear friend, for our phenomenal music, but most importantly of all, to you, the listeners. Thank you so much for coming back with me for season two. Like I said, we really do have a phenomenal, phenomenal lineup of guests lined up for season two. If you enjoy this, like I said, share it with a friend. That's it from us. We'll see you very soon for another episode of Personality Bingo. is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more 
or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 